Right, let's just pray before we start. <coughs> Father, thank you for our time of worship. Lord, thank you for, for the fact that, that we can come here and that we do have someone to worship. Lord, that's what matters, that you're actually here, that you're worthy of our worship. And Father, now we want you to teach us. Lord, we want to turn to your word and we want to find out the truth. And Father, I pray that you will be our teacher. Father, I pray that, that we'll just be so aware of how wonderful Jesus is. Lord, how wonderful it is to be part of his church. And Lord, above all else, we want to be an obedient church. Lord, we want to be as your word says. Lord, we don't want any ideas except yours. And Father, we just pray that you'll lead us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right, okay, we <clears throat> return now to the Church Life series, and you'll remember that we're on the section dealing with eldership or the government or leadership of the church. And where we've come so far, we've seen the fact that each church ought to be led by a body of plural and co-equal male elders. We've seen no big chief, it's a plural affair. And we've seen that there are three different Greek words which are used in the Bible for these men. Elder or presbyter, bishop, overseer or guardian, or pastor or shepherd. And all these terms, they all refer to the same people. And we've seen that presbuteros is the Greek word for elder, episkopos, the bishop or the overseer and guardian, and poimen, the pastor or the shepherd. And what we're turning to tonight is we're going to see the function of elders. What exactly are they there to do? What exactly is their job? Now, let's go through each one. Presbuteros first. Well, elder, we've already seen that that conveys the idea of being mature, of being senior and responsible for the church. That is the qualification. That's not their job. That's the type of people they have to be. Now, we did that last time. Now, the rest of this talk about eldership is going to be concentrating on the other two, episcopos or bishop, poimen or pastor. Now then, let's take them both in turn. And these are things we've said before, but now we're going to build on them. You remember with episcopos or bishop, we've seen that the meaning of the word conveys the idea of vigilance and leadership and guardianship. That is what is inherent in the Greek word itself. And we've seen as well that as a bishop, that is an elder's function relative to the corporate church, one of vigilance, leadership and guardianship. And as a pastor or shepherd, poimen, that speaks of personal care and that there we have the eldest function to not the corporate church but in regards to individuals within the church all right so let's go on to the first one episcopos we've seen that an elder is a bishop or an overseer or a guardian and here we're seeing the job or the function of elders in relation to the corporate church now let's take the first one, vigilance. This is part of the function of an elder. The actual word episkopos comes from two Greek words, epi, which means over, and scop scopio, which means to look 
at or to contemplate. All right. So there you can see how we get the idea that an elder is someone who's got to be a vigilant person. He is watching over. And we saw that one of the words that can come from this is an overseer. A bishop is an overseer. He is watching over. All right. So the bishops or the elders or the pastors, the first of their functions is that they are the watchers or the watchmen of the church. And as that, they are always on the lookout for three things. They're on the lookout for what God is doing. They're looking out for what God is doing amongst the church. The second thing that they're always watching out for is what Satan is up to. Because where God is working, Satan is countering. So the elders have got to be watchful and they've got to keep an eye open for what Satan is up to. And then the third thing that they look out for all the time are needs in the fellowship that need to be met. Now, when you see there that part of what they look out for is what Satan is trying to do, you can see how the idea of an elder being a guardian is tied up with the things that we're saying, all right? That you've got to guard against what Satan wants to do in the church. And basically, what it boils down to is that the elders have got to make sure that all the time they know what's going on. Elders have got to be eagle eyes. It's very important that they keep their ear very close to the ground all the time. This is why it's ridiculous to have the idea that leaders in a church are kind of up there in the ivory tower and you hardly know them. They only appear at the meetings. That is ridiculous. Elders the whole time, they're not kind of management from afar, they're shop stewards, they're on the floor, can you see that? And they've got to make sure all the time they know what's going on and that their ears are very, very close to the ground the whole time. Now also, scopio means to contemplate, means to watch, to look out for, or to be a contemplator. And that the elders have got to make sure as well that they are the fellowship thinkers. That doesn't mean that they're the only ones in the fellowship who think, but the elders have got to make sure that they are the fellowship thinkers. I don't mean in the terms, in, you know, in the way that a philosopher, I mean, I'm not talking heavy, deep intellectual stuff. But the point is, however many brain cells an elder may or may not be blessed with, he has got to make sure he's using the whole lot all the time. Can you see? An elder has got to, the whole time, be thinking and praying out every situation that the church is facing. Because the elders have got to make sure that they think it all out and that they understand it in a biblical way. So therefore we can see that elders have got to be watchful, but they've got to be thinkers and prayers as well. Because it's no use having a watchman who may well spot what's going on, but doesn't know what to do about it. For instance, it's no good if an elder spots what God's doing and doesn't know how to lead from the scriptures, how to bring that into being. It's no good if an elder spots what Satan's up to, but doesn't know how to counter that in the right way. And it's no use an elder being able to spot various needs if he doesn't know biblically how to meet those needs. 
So the elders are the watchers in the church, and they're the ones on the lookout all the time to make sure they know what's going on and to be thinking and praying it all through so that they know what actually needs to be done as each thing actually happens in the church. Right, now that leads us on to the second thing, all right? A bishop, an elder as a bishop is a vigilant person, he's a watchman. But secondly, this word implies leadership. Go to Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Remember, episkopos, bishop, overseer, guardian, that's what we're looking at. It means a watcher, but secondly, it implies leadership. And I'll show you why. And Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. I just want to show you something that Paul says. It's not so much what Paul says here that I'm after at the moment, it's the meaning of one of the words he uses. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what's important there is that word, goal. Paul talks about pressing on to a goal that has been set. Now, that Greek word for goal is skopos. Again, it comes from episkopos, a goal. And that part of the meaning of the word elder is that they are the ones who need to be finding out and then setting what the goals are in the church. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that they have got to make sure that they are getting the vision from God. We're back to vigilance, looking out for what God is doing. That they get the vision of what God is doing in the church, and then it is their task to be leading the church towards the fulfillment of that goal. Can you see that? The elders are the ones who must make sure, I'm not saying they're the only ones who are going to know, but at least the elders must know the goals, if you like, that God is setting, where the church is going at any one time. The elders have got to make sure that they know that from the Lord and then able to move the church, to lead the church in the direction that God is setting them. All right. Let's have a look at some other variations on this. Go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And if you find verse 15. And again, this is still this word scopio, that um, the idea of elders being overseers come from. And in Hebrews 12, verse 15, we get this. He says, see to it that no one fail to obtain the grace of God. Now, again, it's not the content of the verse I'm after. It's that phrase, see to it. Make sure it's done. Scopio. Here's A. The elders have got to make sure that what God is saying is done. They have got to see to it. I just like to say if you've got two people saying this, you know, we've got to get this done, and one person may say to the other, you see to it. And the point is that even if no one else is seeing to it, the elders have got to be seen to it that the job is being done, that what God is wanting to happen is happening in the church. That is what good leaders do. They get the job done. And leaders who don't are not leading the church in the way that God wants them to. 
Let's just see one or two other uh, verses in the Bible about this. Go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians and find chapter 5. One Thessalonians, chapter five and verse twelve. Again, speaking about elders, Paul says, "We beseech you, brethren, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you." Now, here Paul says that the elders are over the church in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? The actual Greek word here is proistomi. And it literally means to stand before or to stand in front of. The idea of going on ahead and leading people. Let's just see these, uh, this word in regards to something else. Go to 1 Timothy. Elders are to, to stand before the people to lead them. Proistomy. And in 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 where we get the word used again. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour. Now there's that word proistomy. So here Paul says that they rule in the church. Go back into chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll see this same word in regards to something else. And we saw this when we were asking who could and couldn't be elders, who qualifies. And in chapter 3, verses 4 to 5, he says he must manage his own household well keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? And the word there, proistomy, is manage. And what this shows us is that in the church, it's the elders, if you like, who are the managers of the church. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 building up a picture of the function that elders have. 1 Corinthians 12. And this is one of Paul's lists of the gifts of the Spirit. And in verse 28, he says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, prophets, etc., etc. And if you go through the list, he says, administrators. Now, that word there in the Greek is kubernesis. And kubernesis, believe it or not, that is the Greek word where we get the English word a government from. It's directly from that Greek word. And it means a pilot or someone who steers. And here he's clearly talking about the gift that elders in the church must have that they must be a guide, and a guide is someone who leads you. Now, if we put all that together so far, we've got this, that eldership in a church is the leadership. Eldership is managerial. It is a governmental thing. So what we've got here is the episcopos role of elders as bishops, overseers or guardians and their role is that of vigilance their role is that of leadership their role is that of guardianship
Now, what I want to show you is that their function in that role has three practical aspects. There are three things that they must be doing in order to fulfill that role in the way that the Bible teaches. And the first one is teaching. They have got to be continuously teaching the church from the Word of God. You remember last time when we looked at, you know, who can be an elder and who can't be, we saw that if someone's to be an elder, they must be apt to teach. They must be someone who is able to teach authoritatively and consistently from the Word of God. Let's see this. Go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 4. And the first three verses, he says, I charge you, which is Paul saying, I order you, Timothy, this is a commandment, there's nothing optional about this, in the name of Jesus Christ, I am telling you that you must do this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Now obviously the word here is the word of God. Preach the word in season and out of season. Which is another way of saying, don't give me this thing at the moment, God just isn't leading us to do teaching. He says in season, out of season, whether you feel like it or whether you don't feel like it, make sure you're doing it. Convince, rebuke and exhort, be unfailing in patience and in teaching. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own likings. Go to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Paul says simply this, command and teach these things. What are the things that Paul is commanding him to teach? He's commanding him to teach what Paul has told him, why Paul was an apostle actually bringing the word of God. No one's doing that now, it's all written down. But Paul was actually bringing the word of God. And so he was saying to Timothy, command and teach these things, the word of God. Go to Acts 20. See this when Paul had his meeting with the elders from the Ephesian church, Acts chapter 20. And first of all, starting from verse 17, it says, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said, You yourselves know how I lived among you all the time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord in humbleness and with tears and with trials which befell me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything of profit and teaching you in public and from house to house. Can you see Paul saying, I taught you all the time I taught you. Go down into verse 27. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So there we see this emphasis that part of the function of the leaders of the church is to be all the time systematically teaching the Word of God. Now, why? Why is it so important? We've done this before, but I'll do it again. Quite simply, because the Word of God is the truth. Go to John chapter 8. We're going to see a couple of things that Jesus said now. John chapter 8. 
and verse 31. Jesus then said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now what we're beginning to see here, and we're certainly going to see soon, is that really the job of elders is to make sure that everyone is living in the church in freedom. And if freedom comes from knowing and believing the Word of God, then can you see one of the most important things that leaders in the church can do is to be teaching the truth of the Word of God which is going to be setting people free. Go on into John chapter 17. And this is the prayer that Jesus was praying shortly before he was crucified. And in John chapter 17 and verse 17, we get the word sanctify here and we know what that means. The whole process of God setting us free from the bondage of our sin. And he says, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So therefore, if freedom from the bondage and the power of sin is going to come partly through the channel of knowing and understanding the truth of God's Word, then can you see how vitally important it is that a church is all the time receiving systematically the truth of God's Word? And this is why it is imperative for every church to have ongoing and systematic Bible teaching. The whole time to be growing in the truth of God's Word. Now obviously, let me say as well, that elders can make sure that people get the teaching, and they must. That is their job. Elders must make sure that people get the teaching. But elders cannot make people receive the teaching. That is up to the people. Can you see that? So the elders must make sure that the truth of God's word is getting out to the church, but it's the people in the church who must receive that and change their lives accordingly, as indeed the elders must most certainly make sure that they are doing in their own lives as well. So there's the first aspect, all right. There's got to be teaching. The second aspect, go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And the second aspect is, is prayer. Now, in Acts chapter 6, we have uh, the occasion in the early church where deacons came on the scene, and we're going to be dealing with that in a later study. But what we want is, chapter, is verse 4. And, Paul, uh, and they said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here you've got prayer and teaching that the elders have got to make sure that they're looking out for God's will for the church to find out what the goals are and then to be praying those goals into being. Now it doesn't necessarily mean that every elder is going to be a gifted intercessor any more than, you know, all elders have got to be gifted, you know, sort of a, a, a sort of the Bible. But the point is that elders have got to make sure they're praying for the church and that they're all the time bringing all the situations in their mind to the Lord 
to be receiving from him what they need to know. So the elders have got to be praying for the church. So that even if no one else in the church is praying for the church, you know at least that the elders are doing that. Right, and the third thing is that they've got to protect the church from satanic infiltration. Now, one of the things that is true all the way through the history of the church is that when Satan attacks the church from the outside, the church grows. The best thing for a church is to come under satanic attack from the outside. That is brilliant. But the greatest destruction comes when Satan infiltrates the church. When Satan is able to attack through believers or people in the church. Now the elders have got to make sure that they are protecting the church from that happening. And here we have the guardianship of elders again. That the elders are literally the guard dogs. We've seen that they're the watchmen, they're the watchdogs. They're the, the guard dogs over the church. Go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. And in verse 17... And he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will have to give account. Now, here can you see it? The elders are keeping watch over the church. But what's interesting is that in the Greek, that word, keeping watch, it means to keep watch without any sleep. And it's the idea of a watchman or a security guard on patrol overnight to make sure that no one gets in and steals something. And of course, the guard dogs in security firms patrol through the night. And that it's the picture here that elders have got to be constantly on the watch, looking out for anything that Satan is trying to do in the church. The elders are always on sentry duty. The rest of the church ought to be on sentry duty as well, but the elders must make sure that they are always on sentry duty. Now, with this guarding the church so that Satan can't get in on the inside, there are two aspects to that. And the first one is the flip side of something we've already seen. The first one is that the elders have got to be able to refute false teaching. We've seen that they've got to be able to give proper, true teaching, but they've got to be able to refute false teaching. Go to Titus. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Titus 1 verse 9. Again talking about an older, an elder, <laughs> an older. It says, he must hold firm to the sure word as taught. Right, it's the first thing. He's got to be able to give proper teaching. He must hold firm to the sure word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, there you have it, apt to teach, and also to confute those who contradict it. Go back to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, and first of all, the first two verses. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, and boy, we're in them now, some will depart from the faith by giving heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And then if you go down into verse 16, he says, take heed to yourself and to your teaching. Hold to that, 
For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now there, he's not saying if you do this, they'll be saved and go to heaven. He's saying if you do this, you will make sure that you are safe from the false doctrines that are going to appear in the last times. So therefore, the elders have got to ensure that they can teach what is right and that they can combat that which is wrong and that which is a lie. Why? Because if it's the truth that sets us free, then a lie received as being the truth will put you into greater bondage. Go to Acts 20. The Bible warns so much about the dangers of false teaching in the church. Acts 20, and back to Paul's last little talk with the elders in the Ephesian church. Acts chapter 20 and verse 29. Now listen to what he says. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And these are, of course, wolves in sheep's clothing. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, Paul's saying two things. He's saying, firstly, you're going to be attacked as, as a church by men who come in from the outside, and you accept them in thinking they're genuine, and when they get in, you're going to find out they're wolves in sheep's clothing. He said, but there's more than that. He says, even some of you are going to be deceived by Satan. You're going to speak perverse things. But look what happens to draw away the disciples after them. Can you see? To be a Christian is to be free, not in bondage to men. But false teaching will always put you in bondage to men. That's why if you look at the discipling movement and the whole shepherding thing, I mean, the most important thing in everyone's life is who their shepherd is. Their accountability is to one man. They're no longer following Jesus. They have to follow this man who's over them, a false teaching. But Paul is warning that if these false teachings get among you and get a hold of you, then you're going to suffer. Then you're going to find that the church is going to be ripped to bits from the inside. So therefore, elders, part of their function is to make sure that they can identify false teaching, to make sure that they have the courage, but to do it gently and graciously, but to have the courage to stand against it, but most importantly, to be able to demonstrate clearly from the Bible why it's wrong. Can you see? It's no use as just saying, that's wrong, shut up. That is no good whatsoever. But if someone brings something to a church that is wrong, the elders have got to be able to demonstrate why it's wrong from the Bible. Okay, so there's that. Elders have got to guard the church from Satan getting on the inside through false doctrines, by being able to refute any teaching that isn't from the scripture. And then the second aspect of this is that the elders have got to be the ones who deal with any discord or trouble in the church arising from people's unconfessing. So we've got false teaching on the one hand, but the other attack that can come from the inside that can split churches apart is quite simply infighting between people in the church because of their own sin. 
whether you've got a battle between two people because they can't stand each other, or whether, for instance, you've got someone in the church who fancies that he ought to, you know, sort of be more respected. You know, he thinks he ought to have a higher position in the church, and so starts pushing himself or herself forward. All these things can create tension and take away the peace in the body of Christ. The Bible says that all things are to be done decently and in order. And it is the job of the elders to make sure that that is the case. The fact is that troublemakers in a church must be dealt with. Go to Titus. Titus. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. Paul says, Avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels over the law, for they are unprofitable and they are futile. It isn't about people who've got a bee in their bonnet, about something that just doesn't matter. And, you know, and they want the whole church to conform to something that doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't say it, and they're trying to impose it on a whole church. As for a man who is factious, this is someone who divides people off, as for a man who is factious, after admonishing him once or twice, twice, have nothing more to do with him. So we can see from this that troublemakers in the body of Christ have got to be dealt with, and it is the elders who are going to have to do it. Now, later on, we are going to devote a whole study to that, and sort of like the whole subject of when it's right to actually put people out of the church. And we'll be dealing with that in great detail, all right. So then we've got Episcopos. That is the function of elders as bishops or overseers or guardians. That is their function in regards to the corporate church. But now we've got to move on to the second thing, because they are pastors or shepherds. Poimen being the Greek word, personal care. And this is the function of eldership in regards to the individuals within the church. Go to Acts chapter 20 again. <coughs> Acts chapter 20. And in verse 28. Paul says... Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Notice all the flock. That means that no individuals are left out. And you see, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you guardians. All right. To feed the church of the Lord. So here we have the picture that the church is a flock. All right. And the Greek word here, feed the flock of God, it's poimeno, from which we get poimen, right? and it means to feed and it means to tend. Let's see it again, go over to 1 Peter. This is the elders' job as pastors. 1 Peter, chapter 5, and the first two verses. He says, I exhort the elders among you. So that's who he's talking to. And in verse 2, he says, tend the flock of God that is in your charge. There you have it again, poimedo. The church is likened to a flock of sheep, and the elders are called the shepherds, and their job 
poimeno is to feed and to tend. The elders are shepherds to the church and to the individual sheep within the church as well. And the main aspect here is the pastoral care of the individual. And the relationship of a shepherd with his sheep, particularly in the East, is a very, very personal one. When I lived in Suffolk, I was absolutely a, a friend of mine. His dad was a dairy farmer, and one day we went and spent a day on the farm. And it came to milking ties on these things. You had to go to the field and then drive the herd up the rows and things like that to the other field. And I was, he probably had about 150. And I was staggered to discover that, he, that each of those cows had a name. And he knew them individually. Can you see? And he cared about each one. It sort of struck me. Now, a good farmer or a good shepherd is not just someone who's got a flock of sheep or a herd of cows. He's someone who has got to make sure that each individual animal is being looked after in the way that it needs to be. So the emphasis on this thing about elders being pastors, the emphasis is, yeah, they've got to shepherd the whole flock, but in order to shepherd a whole flock and to be a good shepherd means that you've got to make sure that every individual sheep is being really well looked after. All right. So we're looking here at the pastoral care, the personal care of each individual person in the church. And that we've seen that the verb is poimeno, to feed and to tend. But what's interesting is that in the Greek, that word poimeno emphasizes that feeding is the major part of tending. So that with a shepherd, all right, who's pastoring his flock, he will tend for them. But the thing that the sheep need more than anything else is food. So the biggest part of his job is to feed them. He tends them as well, but the main part of tending them is to actually feed them. And this is going to become very, very interesting. Go to John 21. John 21, and something very, very interesting here. We're going to be back to this later on, because we're actually going to be looking at Peter's call to be an elder. All right. And in John 21, let's read first of all verse 15 to 17. You know the story. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, there are lots of important things in that passage, but for the time being, we're after two of them. The first one is this. Jesus is clearly, when he's talking about feed my sheep, tend my lambs, he's clearly talking about people who are going to become Christians. So Jesus is talking here about us all Christians. And he's talking to Peter as a future leader in the church. Now, the two things to notice is this. First of all, in verse 15, all right, you've got Jesus saying to him, feed 
my lambs. The second and the third time, it's my sheep, but here it's my lambs, all right? Now that's interesting, because a lamb needs more tendering, tenderizing. Oh, isn't that naughty? Sorry. <laughs> a, a lamb, because it's a little baby, needs more tending, all right, than an actual sheep. So that's interesting, all right, that here Jesus refers to us as his lambs. Isn't that affectionate? But what's more interesting, in verse 16 and 17, when Jesus talks about his sheep, and there he calls us sheep, he does here, written down, it's not the usual Greek word for sheep. It's a diminutive form of it that the Greeks used in a special way. And that what it, what it was used as a general term of endearment. And it's the Greek equivalent of a husband calling his wife pet or a wife calling her husband pet. So what we've got here, first of all, is that when Jesus is talking about us as being his flock, his church, he emphasizes that relationship of love that exists between him and us. That shows us how precious we are to him. It's not just a question of a shepherd doing his job and getting the job done. It's more than that. It's getting the job done because of love. Jesus will feed and tend us because he loves us so much. And the work of elders is to be doing the same thing, but to be doing so in the love of Jesus. So there's the first thing. It's the, the love that Jesus has for us, that relationship of love between him and us. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is this, that here we've got different, you've got feed twice and then you've got tend. Jesus is mixing his words here a lot, and we need to understand it. In verse 15, when he says, feed my lambs, and in verse 17, when he says, feed my sheep, the word fee there, feed, is not poimeno, it's bosco. Bosco. It's only in verse 16, when he says, tend my sheep, that you get this word poimeno. Now, what we've seen so far is that the Greek word poimeno, it means to tend with the emphasis being on feeding. All right. Now here, Jesus says feed or tend, all right, three times. And only once does he use poimeno. These other, this other word, bosco, it only means to feed. So what Jesus says here to Peter, he says, Peter, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And boskain, uh, Bosco comes from Bataino, which means pasture. And of course, you put a sheep out to pasture, so it's got loads and loads of food to eat. Now then, what we've got here is simply this. A good shepherd realised that the most part of what he has to do to care for his sheep is to make sure they've got enough to eat. Can you see? And we've already... Now, what is our food? Our food is the Word of God. So what we're seeing here is that intending the flock, all right, Elders have got to make sure that the greater part of their tending and caring for people is giving them the food that they need, the teaching that they need. Now, why is that? I'll tell you. If a shepherd sticks a sheep in a massive field full of grass, that sheep can get on with it very well on its own. Because it's got loads to eat, that's all it needs. 
Now, if elders in a church are proving faithful in really getting the systematic teaching from the Word of God across to the people in the church, then the truth of the matter is this. Those people in that church will grow and mature much faster and it means that for the most part the elders are going to be able to let them get on with their own Christian lives because they're growing strong of themselves. Can you see the point? The elders will step in when it's needed but as we're going to see the job of elders is not to make people dependent upon them. The job of elders is to bring people individually in the church so they're getting stronger and stronger and need less and less supervising. Can you see? When you're a young Christian, you need more supervising. When you get older, you need less. And this is the point. Stick a sheep out in a field and it will just get on with it. The only time the shepherd need intervene is like if he sees a wolf coming that the sheep hasn't seen. But what a shepherd does not do is spend his whole time looking over the neck of every individual sheep saying, what are you up to? What? No, that bit of grass there is better. Can you see? The idea is to give everyone in the church what they need to be getting on with it for themselves in the Lord. Now, can you see why the emphasis in the Bible on the pastor's function as a shepherd or elder's function as a shepherd or pasture is certainly yet to tend to care for the people, but to make, did I say something wrong there? Did I, oh, get it. Is to make sure that they're growing individually and getting all they need from the Word of God to become stronger and stronger in themselves with the Lord. So that therefore, what we've got is that the job of elders is to make sure that the people in their church are coming into freedom and do not need to be under constant supervision. The old thing that you never know when an elder is going to pop up again and give you a bit of advice. Do you know what I mean? And people are in churches like that. Elders are there if you need advice, of course they are, but can you see elders are to bring people into maturity? Give the sheep all the grass they can eat, and believe me, the sheep will be able to get on with it. The elders are there looking out for them in case any danger happens, you know, or it's like you might get the odd recalcitrant sheep who decides that he doesn't like grass anymore and decides to eat the sheep next to him. All right. And, pull, you know, make sure you don't devour... And the function of elders is to bring people to a healthy independence with the Lord. Not a kind of independence where everyone is saying, oh, well, I'm independent now, I'm going to leave the church. Because yeah, obviously we need each other to grow in that freedom. I'm not talking about the independence of individualism. That is precisely what the church is there for, to knock out of us. All right. But the point is that people are growing up into freedom in the Lord. And that it's important as well, therefore, that elders are providing not just corporate teaching to the church at large, but also that individuals are receiving the personal information and teaching from the Bible that they actually need. And this is one of the reasons that we encourage people to ask questions. Can you see? So that it's not just the church receiving the teaching that we need as a church, but that each individual can feel absolutely free 
to go to anyone in the church, and if no one else can do it, the elders ought to be able to do it, but if someone else can do it, no problem, to at least be able to get the biblical teaching that you need personally at any one time. Go to Acts 20 again, and we'll see this, how Paul was very, very keen to actually do this in Acts 20 and verse 20 again. And he says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything of profit and teaching you in public, there's the corporate church, and from house to house. There, private teaching. So that one day Paul might be doing a Bible study for the corporate church. And then the next night there might be a family in the church who says, hey, we need to know about this. Paul says, right, I'll come around tomorrow, have a good, good meal together, we'll certainly make sure we break bread first. You know? mm -hmm. And he'd give them the mm -hmm. teaching and the advice they needed then. So can you see, it's very important that individuals, okay, are fed by the elders in the word of God. Right, that's the feeding, but now the tending. We've seen that the most part of tending is feeding, but there is more to it, let's move on to that. Well, these are very straightforward. Obviously, first of all, part of elders tending the flock is that obviously they are there to give and to offer guidance and advice in personal problems or difficulties that people are having. Obviously, that goes without saying. We're not talking here about the elder sorting you out. What's this I hear that you've got a problem? We're not talking about that. We're talking about chatting it over with a friend and all of us get in the position where we just need to talk something out with somebody because we're having a problem or something like that. Well, the elders are there to do that. They are, if you like, the big uncles um, in the family of God. I remember years ago I used to lead a fellowship of mainly people who were younger than me and they used to call me Big Unc, Big Uncle. Because, you know, if, 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 if they had something they wanted to talk out, they used to pick the phone up or something like that. And, of course, it's problems, large or small. The elders are the big uncles. They're the people to go to if you've got problems, large or small, they're there. This doesn't mean that if you've got a problem, you've got to go to an elder. Of course it doesn't. If there's someone else able to help who you think is better for you, by all means do it. But the point is that elders are there at the very least. If there's no one else you can talk to, you know that you can go to them and just chat it over with friends. Okay, right, secondly, a very important part of elders tending the sheep. They're there to give personal protection and support to the vulnerable. They will stand by you in your time of need if you haven't got anyone else who can. I'll give you an example, and, and let me say particularly for the ladies who aren't married. Now, it's amazing, particularly with some women who are a bit older, the kind of problems that they get into, because they're there on their own, maybe their husband have died, maybe they never had one. And I'll tell you, the world is very good at exploiting people. It's not just the ladies, it's the same with men as well. Anyone can end up unjustly exploited. And at the very least, the elders are there to be able to stand by you and support you and, if necessary, defend and protect you. Example, let's say you end up in the church or maybe even outside of the church. Say you end up the innocent victim of lies or gossip or rumour or slander or harassment of any kind be it from believers in this church, be it from believers in another church, or be it from outsiders, people who aren't Christians. If that ever happens, 
then the elders, at the very least, are there to stand by you, to stand with you. Maybe to fight for you, for your rights, if you're not able to get them yourself. Now, let me say, I'm not talking here about pettiness. I'm not saying that every time you think someone said an unkind word about you, you have to go and rat on them to the elders. I mean, I'm not talking, you know, if you must go and sort it out with them. I mean, we're not talking about petty things. You know, because even if someone has said something unkind about us, well, wouldn't we be big enough to say, well, fair enough, I forgive them all and forget all about it. But the point is that if anything serious happens, you know that you never need stand alone. All right? If no one else is available, you know at the very least that the elders are going to be. Elders are there to stand by you in your legitimate time of need. They're not there so you can run to them to get them on your side when, when you're just as wrong. I mean, it's like, say one of you came to sort of us and said, so-and-so has been going around the church telling rotten things about me. Been saying all these lies, all these rumours. Well, the first thing we'd have to do is say, now hang on, first of all, let's, let's make sure that you've forgiven them. Let, let's forget about you. Know, can you see? It's not saying that the elders are going to, you know, get in on your side in the fight. But the point is when anyone is legitimately in need of support, backup or whatever, then they are going to receive it from the elders. If there are other people in the church who can give it, you'd rather go to, no problem. But the elders at least are always going to be available for that. So there you have it, the, to give personal protection and support to the vulnerable. All right. Now the third thing, elders, are there, part of their tending is that they have to correct people in the church. All right. Elders can correct people in love and assuming their correction is demonstrably biblical, assuming that, then the person concerned must be big enough to take what the elders say. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. We've already seen this verse. He says, We beseech you, brethren, to respect those who labour among you and who are over you and admonish you. And that Greek word, admonish, means to give warning. All right. And of course, giving warning here means, now, now, now look, you know, just stop. Warning number one. Can you see? That's the idea of it. Okay. And let me say as well, that if necessary, elders must also be willing to sort someone out if they need it. Now, when we come on to do the talk about when to put someone out of the church, you'll see exactly the kind of things that we're talking about. What we are not talking, I mean, it's like the old story about the church who ran an incentive scheme to being holy one sin and they chuck you out you know i mean we're not talking about that but there is a time when people do need to you know to really be put in their place and again it's the elders job to do that but of course most of it is just look you know like a little word of correction brother a a, a word in your ear as it were so then elders are there to correct you but that leads on to another question, and this is very, and, and, and let me emphasize, the elders are doing it in love. All right. But that leads on to another question. We're seeing here that part of the function of elders is when necessary to correct people in the church. But that raises another question. Are the people in the church who aren't elders 
free to correct the elders. So the elders can correct the people in the church, but can the people in the church correct the elders? And I'm of course assuming that we're talking about things that are demonstrably wrong from the Bible. Are people in the church free, according to the Bible, to correct the elders? Go to Colossians and let's find out the answer. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, and we read this. <clears throat> He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Now, we don't have a clause there excluding the elders. We don't have some little thingy, but of course only an elder can correct an elder. So the point is, of course you can correct an elder. Of course, elders aren't beyond, you know, correction. So therefore, it's important to realise that if you ever think that an elder is wrong in something, don't let the fact that they're an elder, so if you really believe that it's right for you to correct them, do it. Obviously, you've got to be able to demonstrate that your correction is from the Bible. I mean, it's no use like, for instance, say I was doing a Bible study and someone got upset. Now, assuming that I had genuinely said what the Bible says and assuming I hadn't been rough with them, or something like that, then you might come and say, oh, I don't think you ought to have done that. It upset them, and my reply would be, well, fine. That's, that's their problem. I mean, as long as I'm happy, and other people are happy that I wasn't rude to them, or, or that I upset them actually with what the Bible says, and not my own ideas, then that would be correction that is invalid. And obviously, when we correct anyone, Obviously, they have the right. Don't expect them to just, oh, of course you're right. They've got to know for themselves. So if you correct someone, they've got to test it for themselves, obviously. But of course, you are free to correct elders just as the elders are commanded when it's needed to actually correct people in the church. But remember, if you do have to correct us, me and Robert, be gentle with us, big fella. You know, I mean, you know, sort of don't come and, you know, sort of like one mistake and sort of Robert and I are the worst elders that the kingdom of God has ever seen or anything like that. You know, I mean, sort of we'll, we'll try to be gentle with you, you try and be gentle with us. Right, so there's the third thing, correction. And then the fourth thing, part of this tending, is that the elders are there, and we've seen this before, the church is a family of God, the elders are there to provide a secure and stable and safe environment where the prevailing atmosphere is one of love and acceptance, all right, and not authoritarian control. It seems to me that whether people are going to end up under authoritarian bondage in a church is completely up to the elders. If the elders get it wrong, the people will. If the elders get it right, the people won't. And it's the elders' job to make sure that the prevailing atmosphere in the family is one of love and peace and acceptance and security. Remember, the church is your family. And what a family is supposed to provide for the children and for, you know, and, and for mum and dad as well is a, an atmosphere of security and an atmosphere of peace. But of course, authoritarian control is the absolute opposite to that. Authoritarian control, this thing, you never know when an elder's going to pop up from behind a bush and rebuke you. The point is that all that does is breeds fear and it breeds a rebellion that might not be there otherwise. You see? I mean, like the Bible says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Now, there's a situation where someone might start to have a go at you. And if you have a go back, I guarantee 
they will get more and more evil intention against you and you will get more and more evil intentions against them. But say someone's coming to have a go at you and they just meet love and acceptance in you. Well, it's not guaranteed, but it's very possible that they'll think, why, why have I got it in for this bloke? He's quite nice. Or why have I got it in for her? I quite like her. Can you see? And the authoritarian control actually adds to the sin that can emerge from people's hearts. Whereas love and security is going to sort of play it down. All right, It won't be a hotbed of resentment and fear. So it's for the elders to make sure that the prevailing atmosphere is of peace, security, safety, etc., etc. And you see, the thing is this, the whole point, all these aspects of the function of elders, it's for one, it all adds up to one thing. The whole point is that the function of elders is to bring each person in the church into freedom and into maturity. And their freedom is going to be proportional to their maturity. Go back to, go to Ephesians 4. We spent a lot of time in Ephesians 4 in, in, in this uh, series and we'll certainly be back to it later on as well. Ephesians 4, let's, let's remind ourselves. And his gifts that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipment of the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the cunning of men. That's bondage to men. It's the Christians who don't know their Bibles. They're the ones who end up in bondage to men. Because they go and hear a preacher, he sounds good, works a couple of miracles, and that's it. Half their salary is tithed to him for the next ten years, can you see? And, and sort of like, they go where the action is. That is how you get in bondage to people. Whereas if you make sure that Christians grow up with an increasing knowledge of the word, they will be able to say, what he is teaching is wrong, and I don't care how many miracles he's working, I'm not having anything to do with it, and I'm certainly not going to subject myself to it. So can you see, the whole point is that elders are there to bring the people into maturity and therefore into freedom so they can grow up in the Lord and not be like children who need to be supervised constantly. Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, But brethren, I could not address you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. You weren't ready for it. And even yet, you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you who are not of the flesh and behaving like ordinary men. And Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he's lamenting the fact that they haven't grown up yet. I mean, it's like with the Corinthians, Paul was still in the spiritual, you know, sort of like thing that equivalently, I mean, the Corinthians couldn't spiritually blow their nose without having Paul there to hold the handkerchief. Can you see what I mean? They were lost without him. And Paul lamented it. He said, my goodness, he says, you should be grown up by now. Now I've got to come back to you and we've got to go all through it again. Can you say, Paul didn't want to, you know, like the Corinthian church, to need him all the time. Quite the contrary. He wished that they'd grown out of him. You know, and were well able to lead themselves without him to having all the time be giving input. So the point is this. 
The more mature you are in the Lord, the less restrictions you need be under. I'll give you an example. All right. Say you've got, say, a young man or a young woman in the fellowship, all right, who's got converted, and say they're really used to sleeping around. Now, that is a tough one. Believe me, it is tough for people to have been used to free sex and then have to turn away from it. That is tough. And people who haven't been in that position ought not to be looking down their nose at people. You know, sort of like, oh, they were into free sex. Oh, well, we won't expect anything like that to happen again. Can you see? Because they don't know the pressures that those people are under. Now, the point is, when you've got someone who's just become a Christian, all right, they realize that it's wrong to sleep around. They've repented of it, and they're looking to the Lord for strength. But the point is, you're going to be looking out more carefully that that person doesn't get into a potentially dangerous area. I mean, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, flee fornication. So obviously, you're going to have to keep your eye open for it, that that young Christian is not going to wander into a situation where he's bound to fall. And let's face it, into a situation where if he got into, I'm sure he would. It would take a more mature Christian who wouldn't, can you see? So you've just got to keep a loving eye out. Whereas for someone who may be still single, but been a Christian a few years, you don't need to look out for them. They've learned how to overcome it. There's no question of them fornicating. Can you see? The more mature you are in the Lord, the less restriction that you need to be under. So the more mature you are, the more free that you get. All right, And it's the elder's job to ensure that you mature in the Word of God and in the life of Jesus, and therefore the freer and freer you actually become. Let's sum up now the function of elders. We can sum it up in this way. Number one, through teaching, prayer, advice and friendship to each individual person in the church. They bring them into maturity so that they grow strong in the Lord. That is primarily what the elders are there for. That, in turn, brings decreased dependence on the elders and increased dependence on Jesus. So the point is, if the elders are doing their job well in the Lord, then the people in the church, as the years go by, and obviously you've got new young Christians coming in, so there'll always be people who do need the elders a lot, but the point is, as people are growing up into the Lord, they will need the elders less, because the leaders, the elders are bringing them into a mature faith. So the point is, elders are there to make sure that you need them less <coughs> next year than you did this year. They are not there to bring you into increasing dependence on themselves. Elders are there to teach you how to find out God's will and leading for yourselves. Now, in the early days, it may be a case that you think, oh, I don't know what to do. So you go to the elders and they say, right, okay, in this situation, this is how we find out God's will for you. But if that Christian learns from what the elder shows him, in a year's time, he'll only be asking advice occasionally. Can you see, if you teach people how to find out God's leading for themselves, then they don't need to have a shepherd who they go to to check out every decision they make. 
Can you see? The elders are there to bring people in to increase dependence on Jesus, not increased um, on themselves. And so they will encourage a mature independence in the Lord. Second aspect, the elders are there to raise you up into whatever ministry and gifts God has given you. The elders will get you going, they won't shut you up. Now, obviously, there's a little proviso there. Mature Christians know that you can release someone and build them up in a ministry or calling far too early. You see what I mean? I mean, hence the Bible says that young converts can't be elders, a new convert can't be an elder. And many a person in the body of Christ has been spotted by their leaders of having a gift, up-and-coming evangelist or Bible teacher or whatever. And they've been launched and it has destroyed them eventually. Can you see? Because they're not mature enough to handle the dangers of pride that come with being up front. So obviously elders are not going to let you soar too high too soon. But the point is, it won't be a question, as it is in some churches, that the elders have got the monopoly on the ministries. And anyone seen to have a ministry that might compete with them is a kind of a conspiracy against them. No! The elders are there to encourage all the ministries that are coming up. So they're there to get you going, they're not there to shut you up. Back to Ephesians 4. What are the elders there for? They're there to, to encourage you, to equip you for the ministry and the calling that you've got. Not to shut you up, they're there to get you going. Thirdly, elders are there to give you protection and security from troublemakers. Think about it. They are there to protect and defend your individual right to grow in the Lord as part of a church in peace. And the reason that troublemakers are dealt with is because they infringe the rights of others. Can you see? If you've got someone creating havoc in a church through their own sin, all they're doing is, is it, spoiling it for everyone else. Now, the reason that elders come down on people doing that is not primarily to deal with that person, it's to protect the rest of the body from what that person is up to. Because a troublemaker will infringe each individual's rights in the Lord. You go along, say, on a Tuesday evening, you come along to feed on the Word of God. That's your right. And there's someone there and you know that halfway through he'll break in and he'll start an argument. Can you see? Elders deal with them because they're spoiling it for everybody else. So the point is that elders deal with people who cause trouble because it's troublemakers who take away the rights of individuals that elders are there to protect. So let's remind ourselves, elders are bishops, they're guardians, they're overseers. They're the ones, if you like, in that sense, in charge. But in a later study, we're going to look at the whole subject of the authority of elders and submission. And one, there are two things in regards to the authority of elders. There are two things that it is vital to know. How much authority they have and what authority they certainly don't have. Can you see? That's very important. So when I say they are, 
you know, in charge, they are, but there are limits to that, and we'll come on to that in a later study. But here's the main point. In a church, the elders are there to be the protectors of your personal freedom. They are not there to be the restrictors of it. Now, can you see the difference? There are two ways that fellowships are. Authoritarian fellowships are because the elders end up restricting everyone's free choice. Can you see? They hem them in. They're in bondage. Now, that's, that's an extreme. That's dangerous. Elders like that are restricting your freedoms. But if you have a church where the elders won't do anything, never tell anyone off, you then get a free-for-all. And those elders are not guarding your freedom. Because if you've got a free-for-all, anyone can do anything at your expense. Can you see? It's that down the middle that the elders are there to protect the biblical God-given rights of every believer in a church. And they are there to guard against and to deal with anyone who would come along or anyone already there who would hinder you receiving and living in those rights. Okay, that's the function of eldership, all right? Now, next time, we're going to look at the nature of it. There's a difference. Because from looking at the function of it, we've seen that elders are the managers. But next time, we're going to see that like in business, the managers are up here and the workers are down here. It's not management in that sense. And we're going to see next time precisely what the nature of an elder is. And then that will start to put the whole thing into perspective and show us as well why there are many, many people in the kingdom of God today who are elders and who most definitely shouldn't be, or at least not until God has dealt with them in the area that we're going to be looking at next week. We will end it there.